It's time for the most interactive radio program in Las Vegas today. It's time for Pushing the Limits with Brian Shapiro. Brian will talk sports, politics, entertainment, and anything that matters to you. Feel free to call Brian at 702-221-7283. You want answers? I want the truth! Now Pushing the Limits, here's Brian Shapiro. What's going on? Happy Friday, everybody. Pushing the limits time. That's right. It's your boy B-Shap back at you on a Friday. And we're going to have some fun today. Unfortunately, the run and Rebels didn't get it done yesterday against Wyoming. We'll talk a little bit about that coming up in hour number two. And believe it or not, my frustration does not lie with the players. It doesn't lie with the coaching staff. It doesn't lie with the athletic department. It lies with you, ladies and gentlemen. Where were you yesterday? We'll talk a little bit about the lack of attendance break down that game and ooh, what is going on with the Vegas Golden Knights man Eichel and the crew were not a happy camper they weren't happy campers out there in Buffalo tough loss we'll get to that as well real kid poker Vegas Golden Knights super fan Danny Negrano will be joining us in hour number two that's going to be fun always good catching up with Danny figure out what's going on with VGK and are they going to make the playoffs is this in jeopardy We'll get to that a little bit later on in the show. So anybody that knows me would probably tell you that I am not one of those people that has ever been homophobic in my life. I've always been the type of person that believes you should be who you are. I don't care what your sexuality is. I don't want to see two men making out any more than I would want to see a man and a woman making out. Now, two women, well, now we could have a discussion. I'm sorry. That was a horrible joke, but it's true. But uh, in all seriousness, I I don't really care what people do. I don't care what's between your legs, unless I'm dating you. Uh, I don't care what your sexuality is. You know, there are people out there that discriminate. There are people out there that are homophobic. There are people out there that are very anti-gay. Because they're afraid to come out themselves. Mike Pence, I think, is a perfect example of that. But in all seriousness, there's a distinction, right? There's a distinction between, you know, hate crimes and then people that maybe commit crimes themselves. Of course, I'm talking about Jesse Smollett. And the reason why we're talking about Jesse Smollett again, and if you don't remember who this guy is, the the former Empire actor who happens to be black, who happens to be gay, and staged his own... Hate crime. Now, when I first heard this story, I think whenever we hear a story of someone that's the victim of the hate crime, if you're a decent human being, the first thing you do is be like, oh, no, this is terrible. I'm so sorry. That was my first reaction. I believed it to be true because usually people, especially famous people, do not fake their own hate crimes. And if you recall the story, it's a story of uh, the two men that he knew, that that, that, that he was uh, friends with. He paid them around three or four grand to fake this hate crime, put a rope around his neck, pretend like he was beaten up, and then Smollett said they were yelling MAGA country and all this other nonsense. And it was a lie. It was all a farce because Jesse Smollett is not the victim of a hate crime. 
He's not a victim at all. By the way, this so-called victim was making $2 million a year. And that's, you know, I'm not saying he got the, the job of being an actor because he's gay or black. No, I'm sure he earned it. But for whatever reason, whiny Jesse Smollett, he doesn't realize what he did. Because what he did was he diminished the real victims of hate crimes out there because of what he did. And listen, there was a prosecutor that was on this case that covered it up, that tried to let Jesse Smollett out scot-free. I'm glad that didn't happen. But the reason why we're talking about him today is because late yesterday, he was sentenced. Jesse Smollett was sentenced to 150 days in jail for his elaborate hoax. The judge handed down the sentence, which also includes 30 months felony probation, over $120,000 in restitution to the city. It probably should be more than that, but $120,000 is probably lenient, and a $25,000 fine. So basically we're looking at if uh, maybe five, six months behind bars, but you know, on good behavior, I wouldn't be surprised if he was out in three or four. Uh, judge Lynn says that uh, Smollett wasn't motivated by money, that he did it because he craved the attention. I agree with that. He thought that he could boost his profile by tapping into a social justice movement in America, and he said he just wanted to make himself more famous, throwing himself a national pity party. And I completely, 150% agree with the judge. So here's really where it gets weird, right? Because Smollett had the opportunity to make a very brief statement yesterday in court. Now, Smollett still says that he's innocent, that he did absolutely nothing wrong. And Smollett is a narcissist. He's, he's a nut job. He's a psycho. And he's also a liar. And even in the moments right after the judge sentenced him to jail, he never owned up what he did. In fact, he denied it. And he wanted to do this really weird diatribe in front of the judge. Again, this is moments yesterday after he found out that he was going to jail and he was going to be taken into custody. Listen to this. No, I would just like to say to your honor that I am... Uh... I am not suicidal. That's what I was about to say. Okay. I am not suicidal. Okay. I am not suicidal. I am innocent, and I am not suicidal. If I did this, then it means that I stuck my fist in the fears of black Americans in this country for over 400 years and the fears of the LGBTQ community. Your Honor, I respect you, and I respect the jury, but I did not do this, and I am not suicidal. And if anything happens to me when I go in there, I did not do it to myself, and you must all know that. I respect you, Your Honor. I respect your decision. Jail time. I am not suicidal. Okay. (laughs) I love it how the judge is like, okay. (laughs) All right. Like, he's just like, okay, you're a nut job. You're a psycho. Okay, whatever you say, Jesse. First of all, for anybody that thinks Smollett is suicidal or not— He's trying to make some sort of reference to the fact that he believes something bad is going to happen to him behind bars. I'm not sure anybody believes that's going to happen. That's number one. And number two, what is this diatribe that he continues to go into about the fears of black America? You don't speak for black America. You don't speak for the gay community. You're a moron. You're an idiot who ruined his career because you're stupid. Because you did what... For anybody that actually cares about justice and equality, you did the opposite. You did an injustice to black people and gay people in this country because you lied. You lied. And you continue to lie. You're not, you're not, you know, you're not, you're not Jesse Jackson or Al Sharpton. Not that I support those guys very much, but I don't believe they would 
uh, commit the crime that you committed. You lied. And even worse, you did an injustice to every minority in this country and every person who is gay. And I just don't understand how you can still lie. The evidence was overwhelming that you staged this. We saw the check to the two brothers that you gave. We saw the two brothers in a store right before buying a rope and buying, I don't know, I I forgot what it was. Was it sugar? Was it bleach? I don't even remember what they threw on you. We saw them buy the materials. They testified against you. The text messages. Everything was overwhelming that you staged this thing because you're an idiot. You're stupid. And you know what? The judge did say, listen, you've did some good things in your life. You've raised some money for, for charity. You care about these issues. But all that is thrown out the window because of what you just did. You're a joke. Whenever, when anytime somebody lies or does something stupid, it's called that you, you pull the Smollett. That's what you did. It's a joke. You know, and then there was a moment yesterday where, and listen, I understand that Smollett's grandmother has not committed any crimes. But she also said some things that are ignorant that I don't agree with. But anyway, this is but right before the sentencing. This is Smollett's grandmother up there on the stand speaking to the judge. I am the proud grandmother of Jesse and his siblings. I felt compelled to come and tell you that the Jesse I know and love does not match up with the media's betrayal of him. And I'm talking to you guys. You haven't done a good job on investigative reporting. I've worked on documentaries. Okay, stop it for one second. Stop it for one second. What is she talking about? Forget about the media. Your grandson was convicted. What are you talking about? It had nothing to do with the media. He had a fair trial. He was convicted. It's not the media's fault, uh, your, your grandson's situation. He did it to himself. What is she talking about? I understand you're his grandmother. Go up there and say nice things about him. That's fine. But don't blame the media. The media had nothing to do with this case in the courtroom. It was about the evidence that was stacked against him. What the hell is she talking? I'm so sick of this. When people get in trouble, it's like the Donald Trump syndrome. When people get in trouble, blame the media. It's all the media's fault. Never blame yourself. Make no mistake about it. This is 150% on Jesse Smollett. He did it to himself because he's a moron. He staged a hate crime. Why don't you own it? Own the fact that your grandson committed a very serious crime, and that's why he's going to jail. The media has nothing to do with it. In fact, the media, right off the get-go, backed your grandson. The media was wrong for that. They ba- And I don't blame them, but they believed your grandson. He lied to the media. He lies in the courtroom. He committed perjury every single day. He was up there on the stand, and the judge said so. So what is she talking about the media? It's always the media's fault, right? Russell Westbrook and the Lakers, it's the media's fault, right? It's not the organization's fault. It's not LeBron James' fault. It's the media, right? I was blamed. When UNLV basketball has sucked for the last six years, it was the media's fault. It was my fault because I was being too negative. It's always the media's fault, right? Donald Trump, it's the media. It's the fake news media. Never take any accountability. I'm so sick of these attacks on the media. If you disagree with people in the media, that's fine. But they have a right to cover the case, and people have a right to share your opinion, their opinions. And your grandson is a criminal, and he's a moron. And now he's going to jail because he's an idiot, and he's thrown away his career. Because he's a narcissist and because he attempted to become more famous and get his name out there more by staging a fake hoax hate crime. And ladies and gentlemen, the media had nothing to do with that. It was Jesse Smollett in his mind. 
He's the victim, and he still plays the victim today in his stupidity. He put himself there. Now let's go back to the grandmother and what she had to say to the judge. done a good job on investigative reporting. I've worked on documentaries. I know what it is. I've gone through the McCarthy period. I marched with Martin Luther King and marched out Washington, and I'm here now. And so, so you've got to do better. I challenge you to do more investigative reporting. Oh, what does that have to do with it? Jesse himself, as you've heard from the testimonials, is a very gentle, kind, and generous young man. Yeah. And his empathy is infinite, yeah. which translates in giving of himself. Jesse has always been active in the pressing issues facing our communities, such as HIV, AIDS, voting rights, and other urgent social problems in America. I also have fought against injustice forever, and I feel it's in our DNA. I attribute this to being Jewish and the persecution of my ancestors. The Hebrew words to kunalam means to repair the world, and that's what I do, and that's what Jesse does. I will end by saying that Jesse is loved and respected by all who know him. And I ask you, the judge, not to send him to prison. If you do, send me along with him, okay? And I thank you for letting me talk. Thank you so much. Thank you all. It's nice to be in Chicago. <laughs> it's nice to be in Chicago for your grandson's sentencing? That's that's a weird statement. By the way, go ahead. Put her in jail. If she wants to make uh, knit sweaters for her grandson in a, in a cell, go right ahead. I mean, I don't think she deserves that, but if that's what she wants, go ahead. Give it to her. Let her, let her hang out with her grandson behind bars. Knit a bunch of sweaters. I don't care. You know... I can't stand it when people just deflect. It's the media's fault. He's such a nice man. All right. Well, I, I, I'm sure in life he's he's done some nice things, but this is not one of them. It's a very serious crime that he committed. And we shouldn't forget that. And I hope he never works a day in his life as an actor ever again. I hope he has to start his life all over again and, and do it all over again because he deserves it. He doesn't deserve to be an actor anymore. Because he did it to himself. He screwed himself. And even as he was walking out of the courtroom, he started screaming, I'm innocent. He, I, I don't know. I don't know. He puts the fist up in the air like he's some sort of champion. He's a moron. I mean, this guy is nuts. In his mind, he probably thinks, still thinks he didn't do anything wrong. I mean, it's unbelievable. The evidence overwhelming against him. He finally gets sentenced and he still doesn't face the music. You're not a man. This has nothing to do with you being gay. This has nothing to do with you being black. You staged a hate crime. The evidence is overwhelming, and he can say he's innocent until the cows come home. The evidence is overwhelming. Yeah, I'm sure two friends that know you very well, you just wrote a check to, but, but I'm sure they just, they're the ones that attacked you, and I'm sure they were yelling MAGA country at you. Listen, I don't like MAGA supporters any more than you know the, the next person that's not a Trump supporter, but they were not yelling MAGA. These were not Trump supporters. These were two people... Two of his friends, by the way, one of whom worked with him on Empire, who he paid to set up this hoax. And the fact that he sits there in a courtroom and still says he's innocent when every single reasonable human being, except for maybe a couple members of his family and corrupt people and maybe his attorneys, and his attorneys know he's guilty too, by the way. Just about everybody else in society knows what this guy did. That he staged this hate crime, this hoax of a hate crime. And yet he still sits there. And there are victims of hate crimes every single day in this country, sadly. I wish that wasn't the case. Victims of hate crimes because of your sexuality. Maybe because of the color of your skin or religion. And it's awful. 
It's terrible. And my heart goes out to anybody who's the victim of a hate crime, and I want justice for the people who commit these heinous acts. But what Jesse Smollett and his stupidity doesn't understand is he did an injustice to everybody out there that is the actual, real victim. Smollett is not a victim. He's a criminal. He's a felon now. He will always be a felon and a liar. And until he owns what he did and until he apologizes for what he done, what he has done, I hope he never works ever again. I really hope. And maybe talk to some real victims of some hate crimes, you dope. You fool. And I'm glad he's in jail right now. And I hope he stays there. I hope he doesn't get out in a month on good behavior. I hope he stays there. And if his grandmother wants to join him in a cell, fine. Go ahead and let her. Knit some sweaters behind bars and, and you know make some grilled cheese on the radiator. I don't care. But I'm tired of this. People not owning what they did. He is a disgrace, Jesse Smollett. He is an embarrassment to the black community. He is an embarrassment to the gay community. Guy that was making $2 million a year, by the way. Does it mean you can't be the victim of racism? Sure. Doesn't matter how much money you have. I mean, I know NBA players personally that have been the victims of racism. So just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you can't be a victim. That's not what I'm saying. But this is a guy that was living a pretty darn good life. Okay, making a couple million dollars a year doing what he loved to do, which was act. But that wasn't enough for him. He wanted more. He wanted to be more famous. He wanted the greed of of being a victim of, of this hoax of a hate crime in hopes that it would help his career. He's going to be in the Cook County Jail, 150 days confinement, as I said, 30 months felony probation. And, uh, you know, he keeps saying he's not suicidal. He's not suicidal. He's not suicidal. Uh, By the way, he'll be under protective custody and suicide watch for the next five months. Isolation cell. So uh, he cannot commit suicide. Yeah, he cannot commit suicide. And that's probably why he kept saying over and over and over again, I'm not suicidal. I'm not suicidal. Because he didn't want to be in isolation. He didn't want to be under this watch 24-7. That's probably why he was screaming it. Over and over and over again. What's up, Numchuck? No, it's because he wanted that, or he wanted that. Oh, he wanted to be in isolation. Think about it. it oh. Now he's not going to be with with General Then Pop. why was he saying, I'm not suicidal, over and over again in the courtroom? Then? To, I don't understand that. He's, he's basically being real smart about it. He told them, you know, hey, I'm not suicidal, so now they're going to think that he is. And put him in isolation, not mm-hmm. not in general pop. Yeah. So now there's no chance of him getting any or, or getting no interaction with anybody. no interaction with anybody. Yeah. No nothing. Yeah. So well, I wouldn't want to interact with him. I know a, that. Dude, it was it's a smart idea for him to do that. Yeah. No, I mean I I get that. Listen, he's what he did was obviously very stupid, uh, but you know he 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 put this whole scheme together, this whole thing he put together and planned it out. How do I become more famous? Most people that want to become more famous work hard in their career to be better at their craft, but not Jesse Smollett. He wanted to be a victim of a hoax hate crime. He's a despicable human being as far as I'm concerned, and I'm really glad that our justice system worked here. He's got to pay back restitution for all the money that the law enforcement uh, and everyone else had to do to put this case together against him. And it goes to show you that prosecutors can be corrupt because the original prosecutor that was on this case wanted to throw this case out and did. And I'm glad that people stopped and said, whoa, 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 we need to retry this thing. So there's a lot of homophobia out there and there's a lot of people out there that are victims of real hate crimes, a lot of hatred out there. 
This is not one of those situations. Jesse Smollett did this to himself. There's no question he did this to himself. But then you go on the other side of this, right? And I talk about Pete Buttigieg, who I think is a decent human being, a good man, who happens to be a gay man in America, a former mayor who ran for the presidency of the United States. You wouldn't believe some of the despicable comments that his husband is getting. If you go on Fox News and some of these right-wing websites, there are a lot of people going after Pete Buttigieg and his husband. Why? Well, because his husband decided to recite an LGBTQ pledge at a gay youth camp in a viral video. So I want you to listen to this video. It's actually kind of funny. I actually enjoyed listening to it. Instead of the Pledge of Allegiance, it's Pete Buttigieg's husband citing a uh, LGBTQ pledge with uh, gay youth camp people that went viral. Keep in mind, these are these are people, gay youth, that have come out as being gay. These aren't even straight kids. These are people that – kids that are gay, and you have a, a gay man who is the husband of Pete Buttigieg. So have a listen to this, and then we'll discuss it after. All right. I pledge my heart. I pledge my heart. To the rainbow. To the rainbow. Of the not-so-typical gay camp. Of the not-so-typical gay camp. One camp. One camp. Full of pride. Full of pride. Indivisible. Indivisible. With affirmation and equal rights for all. With affirmation and equal rights for all. Watch your heads. All right, so I found that kind of funny. I wasn't offended by it at all. These are a bunch of people who are gay in this room, and I don't think anything that was said there was harmful to anybody at all. But boy, if you go on social media, and what a shocker, folks. Guess where the hate is coming from? People on the right. The president of the Richmond Log Cabin Republicans. By the way, can you believe there's an organization called the Log Cabin Republicans? They sound like very exciting people to hang out with. What do you do? You hang out in a log and, and you show off how, how many guns you have? Like, a, Boy, that must be a really fun organization to hang out with. Anyway, the uh, president's name is Casey Flores. Said, when I saw it, it didn't sit right with me. And virtually all of my Log Cabin Republican friends agreed. Wow, what a shocker. What a shocker that all your log cabin Republican friends probably attack homosexuals on a daily basis and attack Black Lives Matter and talk about how great your guns are and how great Marjorie Taylor Greene is. And you probably pleasure yourself to a poster of Donald Trump in your bedroom every night before you go to sleep. The log cabin Republicans, boy, that of Richmond, boy, that sounds like a really fun group that I'd love to hang out with. Holy smokes. I wonder when your Klan meeting is. This person said, figuring life out is hard enough for youth. They don't need adults pushing them. Nobody's pushing them. These are gay. These are kids that have already come out as gay. You freaking idiot. Oh, my God. These people are just unbelievable. Okay, if you go on social media, you will see tons of comments. People on the right going after Pete Buttigieg's husband, Chastin. For what we just heard, which which is I'm not offended by it at all. These are homophobic, hateful people. If you don't want to be gay or you think being gay is a sin, then guess what? Then don't be gay. Deal with your own family. I mean, it's so stupid. And by the way, he wasn't mocking the Pledge of Allegiance like some people are saying. He's not mocking anything. It was his pledge to the, the gay community. He's not mocking the Pledge of Allegiance for all you idiots out there that are saying that. It's a joke. 
And then, you know, he went on, by the way, to say as, as, a, as a recent father, I've been thinking a lot about what it would be like to be living in the state of Florida as an LBGTQ family. He was talking about this new bill that just came out, the Don't Say Gay Bill. Have you heard about this? The bill requires public schools to reinforce the fundamental right of parents to make decisions regarding the upbringing and control of their children. It prevents classroom instruction, not casual uh, discussion on gender identity and sexual orientation with children from kindergarten through third grade in a manner that is not age appropriate. But it also goes on and basically you can't talk about being gay. If you're gay, you can't come out and talk about it. You can't say, hey, I'm transgender. Hey, I'm gay. It's basically the don't say gay policy. That is absurd. That is homophobic. Okay. What Jesse Smollett did, nothing, nothing to do with homophobia or the fact he's black. He's just an idiot, and he's a criminal. What Pete Buttigieg's husband has done, nothing wrong with what he did, but all these people on the right going after him. Oh, don't say gay. Gay is bad. It's so horrible. Don't say gay. And now we have this new Florida bill that I'm going to get into coming up next in, in, into a little bit more detail. It is so disgusting. It is unbelievable. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open up the phone lines. The number to call, by the way, 702-221-7283. And I ask you this question. First of all, what do you make of the Jesse Smollett case? Am I wrong in going after Jesse Smollett? I think he's a moron. I think he's a criminal. And it has nothing to do with being gay. In Jesse Smollett's mind, it does. But then I'm going to talk. I want to ask you guys this question. What do you make of this I guess you could call it gay pledge of allegiance. That's not really what I would call it. Uh, it was an LGBTQ pledge. What do you make of all these people on the right that are going after Pete Buttigieg and his husband? What do you make of all these people on the right and this don't say gay pl- uh, this don't say gay policy in Florida, where kids, high school kids, middle whatever the case may be, if they identify as a transgender or they identify as being gay, can't talk about it. Don't bring it up in the school system. Don't even talk about it. You, you, it's hard enough to come out as a gay person in this country, but now there's law that says you can't do it? Are we okay with this? Are you okay with this? I'm not. I'm a straight man. I'm not gay. But if you're gay, you should have the right to come out and talk about it. It's hard enough in this country because people look at you differently. Because if you're different than me and you're gay and I'm straight, that's a sin and that's wrong, you fools. I don't care what your religion says. Go ahead and do whatever your religion says as long as it's not against the law. But don't push any of that crap on me and don't push it on other people. That's how I feel about religion. That's how I feel about the American flag. And that's how I feel about all these morons on the right that seem to treat people differently because their sexuality is different than theirs. And by the way, a lot of these people that are so anti-gay are usually gay themselves and they're afraid to come out of the closet themselves. And it's disgusting and I'm sick of it. I am sick of it. It's so ridiculous. It's so stupid. And it's wrong. And I hate it. That's what I hate. Go ahead, convict me of a hate crime. I hate people that look at other people differently because of their sexual orientation or the color of their skin. That's what a lot of these people on the right are doing. We'll take some phone calls. 702-221-7283. What do you make of this? Am I taking it too far? Are you okay with this new law in Florida, the don't say gay bill? All Republicans are putting it together, have put it together. Obviously, nobody on the left agrees with this. What do you make of this? Is that okay? Don't say gay. If your child grows up and he wants to come out as being gay, should he not be able to talk about it in schools and be happy with who he is? Are you okay with that? 
Number to call again if you want to be a part of the program is 702-221-7283. So we'll take a break. We'll be back right after this with more of your phone calls or some of your phone calls, I should say. We'll take some calls on the other side, 221-7283. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. Oh, Night at the Roxbury. That's one of my uh, one of my all-time favorites. That's a good one. Welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Friday. Glad you could join us. Talk a little UNLV hoops coming up at the top of the hour. And at the bottom of the hour, we'll be talking a little Knights hockey and a really embarrassing loss. There's really no other way to put it. Last night on the road against Buffalo. Real Kid Poker, Danny Negrano will be joining us, VGK Superfan, to kind of break down what went wrong. And are the Knights in danger for the first time in the history of of the Knights organization of not making the postseason. We'll talk about that a little bit later on as well. We're talking, listen, I talked to to start the show about Jesse Smollett, right? Guy's an idiot. And it has nothing to do with being gay. I mean, in his mind it was, but it's got nothing to do with him being black or being gay. It has to do with him being a criminal. He's a criminal. That's why he's in jail right now. Suicidal or not. He's in jail because he did it to himself. He's an embarrassment. He's an embarrassment to the gay community. He's an embarrassment to minorities across this country and the real victims of hate crimes. He's an idiot, and he still doesn't own what he did, even though there's overwhelming evidence, and he's convicted. He is a convicted felon. That's why he's in jail. He's not a victim, but there are victims all over. Sadly, I wish this wasn't the case. All over the country hate you know victims of hate crimes because of their sexuality, maybe their religion. And it's horrible. It's terrible. And now we have this new bill that just came out in Florida. You know, basically what it says, if you read through all the red tape, is we're not going to talk about your sexuality if you're gay. We're not going to talk about it in schools. If you're transgender, we're not going to talk about it. And not, we're, gonna, we're not going to give you the tools necessary to make you feel comfortable with being who you are. That's exactly what they're doing. And who's doing this, folks? The alt-right and Governor Ron Death Santis. He's done it. So I want you to listen to this piece of audio because I'm on social media yesterday. A man who spoke in front of lawmakers who happens to be gay, a middle-aged guy, successful businessman who lives in Florida. So the, this is one of their constituents, right? A man who happens to be gay who was offended by this new bill that came out. And by the way, I'm straight And I'm offended by this bill that came out. I can't even imagine what some people in Florida feel about this if they are gay. I want you to listen to this lawmaker – or I'm sorry. I want you to listen to this citizen speaking to lawmakers about this new bill. This is an openly gay man. Have a listen to this. Gay rights is very important to me. My son is gay, and I am very proud of him. So, so we'll we'll go back we'll go back uh, to that audio in a moment. That's the audio of uh, people that uh, appreciate Pete Buttigieg. Uh, what I want to get to is a man speaking in front of lawmakers in Florida. But what we do know is that LGBTQ people are a normal, healthy part of our society. We're parents, students, and teachers. We are your brothers and your sisters. Conversations about us aren't something dangerous that should be banned that's deeply prejudicial, and it sends a terrible message to our young people, including LGBTQ young people or young people who have LGBTQ parents. 
there are a lot of issues that ought to be approached with care in how we respectfully talk about them with our children. Issues like religion, politics, weighty issues like death, the meaning of life. But this bill doesn't speak to any of those. It's only talking about sexual orientation and gender identity, and it's stigmatizing because of that. Sexual orientation and gender identity are about who we love and who we are. If you're worried about teaching students about sexual activities, then regulate that, but don't use this as a front to ban discussion of sexual orientation and gender identity. We already have statutes on age-appropriate sexual education, so this bill adds nothing to that. It's about finding a place to erase our existence and be able to not talk about us. How dare you support a bill like this and call yourself an ally of the LGBTQ community? You can't. You simply can't. We ask that you oppose this bill. Amen. Well said. By the way, that guy who made that statement, his name is John Harris Maurer, an openly gay man who was offended by this new bill. And let's just call it for what it is. It's to ban discussion of LGBTQ people in schools. That's exactly what it is. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to talk about it. It's the Don't Say Gay Bill, brought to you by Ron DeSantis, who so many people on the right seem to think would make a great president. Boy, I wonder how people who are gay, who are Republicans, feel about Ron DeSantis. It's so ridiculous, and it's so offensive. And I feel for the people of Florida that are, are gay. Well, what if you're a 12 or 13 or 14 or 15? It doesn't even really matter the age. But what if you're in school and you know you're gay? You know, you know you're attracted to the same sex. And by the way, most people I talk to who are gay, they knew they were gay when they were five or six years old. So you don't, don't give me this nonsense that it's a choice. Give me a break. Like somebody wakes up one day and says, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to be attracted to guys today. No, that's not how it works. And now this new bill comes out. And it basically says, if you're gay, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to hear it from you. That's what this is. You don't think it's hard enough to be living and growing up as a kid, knowing that you're gay and having to be embarrassed at times. It's sad. I wish they weren't embarrassed to speak out of who you are and to be comfortable and happy with who you are. Because there are so many Ron Death Santises out there. There are so many people on the extreme right that will preach to you their beliefs, their religion, as if that's the only way to go. And ladies and gentlemen, it's not. Because you should be able to be proud of who you are, gay, straight, big, small, tall, tiny, whatever you are, all shapes and sizes and colors and sexualities. It shouldn't matter. We should all treat people the same in a perfect world. But Ron DeSantis makes that very difficult. And the lawmakers of Florida should be ashamed of themselves, the ones that support this bill. It's shameful. I wonder if you're a Republican in office and you have a son or daughter who's gay, I wonder if you would support this bill and I wonder what your child would say to you. Remember the whole Dick Cheney situation with his daughter? Dick Cheney was anti-gay for a very long time. He was anti-gay marriage. Oh, and then he changed his tune because that's what Republicans do until it happens to them. Dick Cheney learned that one of his daughters happens to be gay. Liz Cheney was anti-gay, anti-gay marriage, until she found out that her sister was gay, and now she admits she's wrong. Why does it take that? Why do we? does it have to go that far for you to realize that you're wrong? Isn't that selfish? Until it happens to you. Then all of a sudden, see, that's why I always tell people, 
put yourself in other people's shoes before you decide to make a, a, a dumb a dumb policy like this. You know, when Pete Buttigieg ran for president, and I supported him, by the way, because I think he's a good man, he's a smart man, and he's a decent man, and I would continue to support him. He's not perfect, but he's a well-spoken guy. I do believe he cares about people. And for those Republicans out there, oh, he doesn't have any experience. Really? Really? You voted for a reality TV star who goes bankrupt every three seconds. That's the guy that had the experience? You fools, you retrumplicans. But I want to play you a little bit of audio now from some of the people that were on the campaign trail and uh, followed Pete Buttigieg. And Pete Buttigieg put this video out, and I think it's very, very powerful. And then we'll take some phone calls at 221-7283. Again, the number to call, 702-221-7283. What does your religion tell you about gay people, and why do you think being gay is a sin? Because I don't think it's a sin at all. Uh, We'll take some phone calls on that. But this video that Pete Buttigieg recently put out there, because his husband's being attacked for for this video that has surfaced, the video about the... I guess you could call it Gay Pledge of Allegiance, which, by the way, I saw nothing wrong with. Pete Buttigieg, before he put this video out, he said, uh, you shouldn't have to drive for hours to meet the only presidential candidate like you in history because it's risky if someone back home finds out you've been closeted for years. But people did to see myself and my husband in person, maybe to make sure it was real. I want you to listen to this video because I think it's it's very touching. And, you know, gay people across the country that support Pete Buttigieg that got emotional. I want you to listen to this. Gay rights is very important to me. My son is gay, and I am very proud and supportive of him. Well, I recently had the courage to finally be honest with myself and come out to my family and friends about being gay. And he asked me how I was doing and how... Everyone took it, especially some of the members of the military, because he knows what that's like. Thanks for coming. Gay American. Who's getting married next? All right. Congratulations. It is so great great to see you standing here for us. Thanks for coming to see me. All right. It's just me. I'm Chloe. Chloe, thanks for being here. You like my eyes. Oh, gosh. Well, that's very kind of you. to see another person of the LGBT community who's so smart and so when I was growing up, I didn't have any role models. To see an openly gay man proudly talk about his husband on the campaign platform has brought hope again to my life. I was not out, <laughs> um, but after learning about Mayor Pete and his life and his struggle and what he's doing right now for this country, I actually, it, it gave me the courage to come out and be myself. There's a gay man growing up in the South. I appreciate you. Just letting you know, I'm all genders, and you're really inspiring. I'm on the gender spectrum, and I love to see someone that I can kind of see myself in running for office and trying to bring about wonderful change in this country that I love to live in. I hope that you can win and that ultimately I can stay and be happy and be myself and raise a family in the country that I've been in my entire life. Well, now's our chance to make sure it's the right kind of country for you. So, Thank you so much. Thanks. And when you hear stuff like that, it's um, it's emotional. You hear these people and the emotion in their voices and what it meant to them to have a openly gay man run for president of the United States now in the cabinet for Joe Biden. 
And to me, I hear the emotion in their voices. And I'm sad for them. Not because they're gay. I'm sad for them because of the suffering that they have to go through. Because in this society to this day, while it's getting better, as a whole, people who are gay in this country are not accepted like people who are straight. And people, some, not all, but some people in our society look at them differently. And in some situations, treat them differently. You hear the pain in their voices and what they've had to go through. Very similar to Pete Buttigieg because he's had to deal with it his whole life as well. And just as I say when it comes to Black Lives Matter and people that are victims of hate crime, you know, what I try to do is even though I am not gay and even though I am not black, I try to listen. Because I don't know what it's like to be discriminated against uh, because I like women. That, that would, For me, that would just be weird. I wouldn't understand. And I don't understand why people feel the same way about a man who likes a man or a woman who is attracted to a woman. I just – I don't understand that. I just feel like if people are different, those on the alt-right will chastise them for it. We'll call them sinners. I don't care what your religion says. That doesn't give you the right to treat people differently because they're different than you. But yet so people, so many people in our society do that. And it's so frustrating. Yes, and I have criticisms for people on the left. But when it comes to homophobia and when it comes to treating people different because of their sexuality, it usually comes from the evangelical right. Don't you tell me that there are liberals out there that attack people because they are gay, verbally or physically. It doesn't happen. And it's wrong. And in no way, shape, or form am I saying that every Republican out there does this because they don't. You know, I, I you know, I, I'll give Mitt Romney's a perfect example of that, right? His religion, you know, does say that being gay is a sin. But last I checked, I haven't seen any hate speech from Mitt Romney. He lets people live their lives, do what they want to do, even though he's anti-gay marriage, which I disagree with. I disagree with that policy decision. And it's sad for me to say this because I don't believe Pete Buttigieg will ever be elected as the president of the United States. And in my lifetime, I don't think we'll ever see anybody gay as the president. I wasn't sure if we would see anybody black. And I'm glad that Barack Obama was elected. I'm glad we have a black female vice president. Now, I'm not a big fan of hers. I don't think she's doing a great job. But I think it's a good thing for America that we have a woman in office as vice president and somebody who is black. I think that's good. It's a good thing. Because the history of this country, we haven't had that. Diversity shouldn't be looked at as a bad thing. It should be looked at as a good thing. But I also think there's a lot of people on the right that are afraid of that. There's a lot of people on the right that are afraid of diversity. They're afraid of the fact that at one point in this country, white people might be the minority. Some white people feel threatened by that. I don't because I don't care. I grew up in a prominently black community. I was treated great. I never felt uncomfortable. How many people right now, kids, maybe they're 12, maybe they're 14, maybe they're 16, I don't know. How many people right now are sitting at their desks, kids, that they they know that they are gay, but they're afraid to admit it. They're afraid to admit it to their families. They're afraid to admit it to their friends in schools. 
because they feel like they will be made fun of and they will be treated differently. Do you understand and do you realize how many people out there, how many kids out there in the schools are afraid to come out as being gay? They're afraid. Don't believe me? Just look at the statistics. How often do you see somebody in school saying, hey, I just want everybody to know I'm gay. This is who I am. It happens, and I'm glad, but it doesn't happen very often. So what does this bill do? What does this bill in Florida do? It makes it harder. It makes it more difficult for people, kids in this situation, that know that they are gay from coming out and and being comfortable with who they are. That's exactly what this bill does. And it's wrong. And by the way, I don't care what your religion says. I could just care less. If your religion tells you that being gay is a sin, my religion tells me that if you judge other people based on their sexuality, you're the one that's committing the sin. You're the sinner. I don't speak for Jesus Christ or God or whoever you believe in, but last I checked, I believe Jesus' spoken words are to treat everybody as equals, regardless of how much money they have, or what their sexual orientation is. So I don't care what you can quote the Bible until the cows come home. If you treat somebody differently because of their sexual orientation, then you're the sinner as far as I'm concerned. And that makes you a bad human being, period. we got to stop this nonsense. Yes, I understand Jesse Smollett did a disservice to everybody out there who's gay or minority. I totally understand that and I agree. Jesse Smollett is a bad guy. I don't care what his grandmother says. He's not a good guy. He's stupid, he's ignorant, and he did something very bad, and now he's paying the price for it, and he's pretty much ruined his career. But for all you people on the right out there that are going after Pete Buttigieg and his husband because, God forbid, he did some gay pledge of allegiance, maybe you should look at yourself in the mirror. Because while all this stuff is going on, there are still Republicans out there that are praising Vladimir Putin. Madison Cawthorn, by the way, had some statements the other day. He called Zelensky a thug, had nothing negative to say about Vladimir Putin. Are those the type of people that we should have in office? Are those the type of people that represent you? Do you think Vladimir Zelensky is a thug? Last I checked, he's doing everything, risking his own life, fighting for his country, fighting for his family, fighting for his comrades. He's doing everything in his power to fight Russia and the evil murderous dictator that is Vladimir Putin. He's the thug. There are some people on the right, the Republican, uh, some in the Republican far right, who might as well work in the Vladimir Putin administration because they're traitors. And it's disgusting. And it's awful. And these, some of, these are some of the same people that will praise Vladimir Putin, right? Maybe call him smart. Maybe call him savvy. Maybe call him a peacemaker. But when it comes to people who are gay in this country... Oh, yeah. They're the sinners. Putin, smart, savvy. If you're gay, you're a sinner. Stay away from my kids. And, you know, this is stuff that a lot of people don't talk about, but a lot of people don't even realize or understand that our former vice president, Mike Pence, his wife currently works in a school that does not allow gay people to work there or to go to school there. Folks, I'm not making this stuff up. You want to talk about the definition of discrimination, that's it right there. This is the vice president's wife who works in that situation. How could anybody be okay with that? 
for the life of me, I just don't understand. How could you be okay with that? If there's anything that I take away from this and that audio that I just played for you, so there's a lot of people in this country that are in, in pain for a lot of different reasons. And I'm not talking about physical pain. I'm talking about emotional pain. There's a lot of people that to this day in 2022 still do not feel comfortable enough in being open with who they are. It's very sad. And I feel for them. I really do. And it's wrong. Now, yes, there are some people that take it a little bit too far. There's no question about that. Because if you're a gay person in society, I'm not saying that you cannot be successful because there are plenty of people in society that are gay that are very successful people. That's not what I'm saying. But there are people that look at you differently in our society. There are people that will discriminate against you. There are real victims of hate crimes out there. Jesse Smollett is not one of them. He is a criminal. I don't know. Are we ready for a gay president? I would have no problem with it. I supported Pete Buttigieg. I have no problem with it. But you cannot tell me that there are not people in this country that would not vote for him for the one main reason because he's gay. And that's wrong. There are people that didn't vote for Barack Obama because he's black. That's wrong. Now, as an American and as a voter, you have that right. You can, you can vote for somebody. I mean, you can vote for Donald Trump because you like his fake tan if you'd like. I mean, that, you, you have that right. But I think it's wrong. I think we need to be a little bit more educated than that. And I think we need to vote people not based on what their sexuality is or what the color of their skin is or, in Donald Trump's case, fake color of his skin. I think we need to vote based on policy. You know, know a little bit about your candidate. Know a little bit about them. Know a little bit about their background. I think that's what an educated voter would do. And I think many people do vote that way. But there are some that don't. And I'm again, I'll say it again. There are people in this country that will not vote for somebody like a Pete Buttigieg. The main reason being because he's gay. And I find that to be utterly idiotic. And it's sad. It really is. It's sad. And this don't say gay policy that's taking place in Florida is an embarrassment to the country. I say it again. Imagine for a moment, forget about the fact, you know, what side of the aisle you're on. Imagine for a moment. One of your kids might be gay and you don't know it. Your child could be 10, 11, 12 years old, going to school every day, knows they're gay. And you learn that your child not only is embarrassed and afraid to come out as being gay because afraid of the backlash he or she might get, but now there's a law put in place in Florida that says he or she can't even talk about it openly. How would you feel about that as a parent? I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. I don't care what your religion tells you. Because it's interesting, isn't it? These people preach 24-7 evangelical right, how being gay is a sin. But then when they find out that one of their kids is gay, well, then all of a sudden they might change their tune. Now, some don't. Some do. And it's selfish and it's ignorant until it happens to you. I see it all the time. Maybe your son or daughter or, God forbid, somebody in your family is the victim of a hate crime. Maybe they're a victim of gun violence. 
and you've preached your entire life, more guns are the answer, and you're a big fan of the NRA, and then something happens to your family, and one of your family members is the victim of gun violence, and then all of a sudden you change your tune. It shouldn't take that in society. I always tell people, put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Stop only thinking about yourself. If we did that with COVID, more lives would have been saved. Put yourself in somebody else's shoes, not just your own. I hear these people talking about COVID. I'm in perfect physical condition. If I get COVID, I'm going to be fine. Okay, that's nice, but what about everybody else in society? I'm straight. I don't care about gay marriage. Okay, that's fine. But what about somebody else that is gay that wants the same rights that you have? That's all I say. I just want I want everybody to be treated the same regardless of their sexuality and regardless of the color of their skin. I talk about that all the time. We're not there yet. Things are improving. Things are much better for the gay community now than they were even probably 20, 10 years ago. Same thing with uh, you know minorities. Things are better. But that doesn't mean we all should stop, and that doesn't mean we should tolerate people like Ron DeSantis. You like some of his policies? Fine. But speak out against this policy, the don't say gay policy, because it's utterly disgusting and it is despicable. Now you got all these people out there talking about how our kids are being taught that they should be gay. It's a lie. It's not true. It's the same people out there that are talking about, oh, you know, uh, this th- these these policies – When it comes to the color of your skin, you know, we don't want our kids learning all this stuff. We don't want our kids learning about this and about that. I tell you, I went to school. (laughs) I did. I went to college. I went to high school. I went to junior high. Nobody ever told me that I should be gay. It was never really spoken about. And I say to myself, we should all be happy with who we are and we should never be afraid to be who we are and be open about who we are. I don't care if you have a hundred tattoos. Uh, I don't care if you have a thousand piercings. I don't care what you have between your legs. This is America. It's the land of the free. So if you really truly care about freedom in this country, which so many on the right talk about their freedoms, then you should have the freedom to be who you are and to be happy with who you are and to be comfortable with who you are. You can't have it both ways. If you want to talk about the Constitution, hypocrites is what they are. Absolute hypocrites. So we'll continue to monitor this crazy situation in Florida. But I'll tell you this right now. Be happy with who you are, man. I don't care if you're 10 years old or 80 years old. I don't care if you're gay or straight. Be you, man. Be who you are. I'm going to take a break, and when we come back... Speaking of being who they are, uh, UNLV running Rebels. They played hard last night, but they did not come away with a win. We'll talk about that, and I'll tell you why and who I'm really frustrated with. It has nothing to do with the players that were on the court. I'll explain that coming up next. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. Brought to you by Numchuck. Uh, it is 311. That is the date today. 
man, that band's been around for a long time. I am so old. I am older than dirt. I like 311. They're a good band. Anyway, welcome back to the show. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, talk a little Vegas Golden Knights with my man, Real Kid Poker, Danny Nogranu. Of course, you know him from uh, his success at the poker tables, but he's a really, really smart VGK fan. I mean, this guy knows hockey really well, and uh, the Vegas Golden Knights had a... I, I think it's fair to call it an embarrassing loss. The Buffalo Sabres are a very bad hockey team. You can't lose that game. And the Knights did. Eichel, his trip back to Buffalo, well, the fans weren't too happy with him. And uh, they let him know, and he let them know after the game. So we'll have some audio on that. Eichel had some interesting comments after the game about those fans in Buffalo. So we'll talk uh, to Danny about that coming up at the bottom of the hour. All right, let's talk a little college hoops. And... I'm hopeful that uh, we'll talk more college hoops and more UNLV. I hope they get uh, a bid to the NIT. But last night was the quarterfinals of the Mountain West Conference Tournament. And uh, I like Kevin. I've been pretty opinionated on UNLV athletics for quite some time, pretty much since I got here to town 20 years ago. And uh, there hasn't been a lot of positives when it comes to UNLV basketball, at least for the last decade, since we had Lon Kruger here. And Lon made the Sweet 16. And uh, he made UNLV relevant again. They were a top 25 team in the country. But this program has been in shambles the last eight, nine years. Dave Rice didn't get it done. His assistant certainly did a wonderful job recruiting, but he didn't get it done. Then you get Marvin Menzies in here. That was a complete disaster. Menzies, not a good basketball coach. At least not the right coach for this job. And then T.J. Otzelberger was an embarrassment. So, you know, there's been a lot of bad hires. And they hired Kevin Kruger. And my original thought, my immediate thought when they hired Kevin was, oh boy, this was the easy hire. There were more, you know, there were big names out there that would have taken this job, maybe even for less money. And this isn't going to excite the fans. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's going to work out or not. Uh, Never had any personal, Kevin's a great guy. But I wasn't really excited about the hire to start. Then I found out that Lon Kruger retired. We all found out Lon Kruger retired and he was moving to Las Vegas. And I said, all right. Lon being around the program, this thing might actually work out. Kevin's a really good guy. And if there's one thing Kevin has done this year and done very well, it's getting his team to buy in defensively, and they all play collectively very hard. That's a really, really good quality to have as a basketball coach. And that's what Kevin's been able to do. He was able to also convince Bryce Hamilton to come back for his senior year. That was a big win. So right off the bat, having Bryce come back and he had six weeks to put a team together, what were the expectations at the beginning of the year? My expectations were compete. Doesn't mean you're going to win the Mountain West, but compete. Win more games than you lose. Beat the teams that you're supposed to win. You know, teams like Fresno State, San Jose State, Air Force. Make sure you win those games. Most of those games they won. I know they had a bad loss on the road to Air Force, and I know they lost at home to Fresno. Most of those games they won, and then uh, you know you sprinkle in some really nice wins. They beat Colorado State twice this year. They matched up really good against Colorado State. Those were big wins. They beat Nevada. You know when you beat Reno at home and on the road, that's that's a good thing. That's 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 a big that's a big deal. And Kevin was able to put this team in position to be a seeded team in the Mountain West Conference Tournament, not in the play-in game, something that Marvin Menzies, T.J. Otzelberger struggled with. So right then and there, you say to yourself, oh, that, okay, that's a successful year. Let's not get crazy and say Kevin's the national coach of the year, but it's a successful year. But then I'm saying to myself, all right, quarterfinals of the Mountain West Conference Tournament. If you want to guarantee a bid to the NIT Tournament, you've got to win this game against Wyoming. The issues that I had in this game was that Wyoming had to win this game most likely to give yourself a chance to be in the NCAA tournament. I think they probably gave themselves that opportunity. 
So to start of this game, I was concerned. And I said to some friends, I said, I, I have a feeling Wyoming is going to win this game. And UNLV really couldn't gotten off to a worse start. They could not make a shot. Hamilton did not make a field goal, I believe, until the 19th minute of the first half. That can't happen. Now, you, a, a part of that, you got to give a lot of credit to Wyoming. They were double-teaming him everywhere. Every time Bryce Hamilton touched the basketball, he was unable to even get a shot off. The problem I had, and it looked to me, and this is just from an outsider looking in, I was at the game yesterday, that Bryce Hamilton's teammates were not ready for the basketball. Because when they caught the ball, somebody was open. That's obvious, right? Five players on the floor. When you're double-teaming a player, somebody's going to be open. They were not able to find those looks. The passing was not crisp. And, you know, in the Mountain West Conference Tournament against a pretty good defensive team like Wyoming, you got to pass the ball quickly. you got to move the ball around the perimeter. you got to find that open guy. And the few times they did find somebody that was open, they were unable to make a shot. You know, their guards shot the ball miserably last night. Now, both teams shot the ball miserably. You would expect that it's going to be a low-scoring game, two physical teams in the Mountain West Conference. But regardless of that, Webster, I believe, went 0 for 6. That can't happen. Uh, McCabe, who I've criticized throughout the year, cannot make a shot. He struggled. I think he made one field goal yesterday. He went 1 for 7. You know, when Hamilton is struggling to even get shots off, let alone make shots, you need to have other guys that step up. Now, in the second half was a little bit different. Uh, Kevin made some uh, adjustments offensively. And because of those adjustments, Hamilton was able to find his shot a little bit more. But again, my criticism is your only play in the second half is a high pick-and-roll screen with Webster and Hamilton. You know, it's very predictable. But Hamilton was still able to get into a rhythm. And then Williams made some big shots in the second half. And it was able to bring UNLV back into the game. But that takes a lot out of you mentally and physically when you're down 13 points in the Mountain West Conference Tournament to, to, to forge that comeback. You ran out of gas. And I think UNLV ran out of gas late in the game. And Wyoming was able to take advantage of that. And I think they went on a 7-0 run to end the game. And Wyoming ends up winning the game by three. Hamilton had a shot there with a, a really good uh, shot to tie it up at the end of the game, by the way. He had a good look at the basket. But Wyoming won that basketball game the first 10 minutes of the game. And I know usually when we talk about college basketball in the NBA, it's usually the last five minutes of the game. But Wyoming won that game in the first 10 minutes because they took Hamilton out of everything that they wanted to do offensively. This is my concern. Kevin is a good young coach. He's going to get better. But my concern, as it was at the beginning of the year, is their offense. The offense, the half-court offense, gets very stale sometimes. Bryce Hamilton is leaving. He's a senior. He's going to be a pro somewhere. Who is going to be that go-to guy? What are they going to be running on offense? And if you're going to win the Mountain West Conference, if there's anybody that proved that yesterday, I guess you don't have to score in the 70s or the 80s or even in the 60s to win Mountain West games. But your offense needs to get better. And if you don't have Bryce Hamilton out there, what are you going to be running on offense? What type of motion offense are you going to be running? And what type of players? Now, I think Williams is a, is, a, is a great athlete. And I think Williams is going to be a big focal point to their offense next year. But you need guards that can score. You need guards that can shoot. We do not have that at UNLV right now. So that would be my big concern going into next year. Now, Kevin's got some time to recruit. Uh, the other question that I bring up is, are you bringing uh, kids into the program that are 18 years old, that are fresh freshmen? True freshman, or are you going to go to the Portel? Are you going to get guys that are going to be transferring? I don't know. That's maybe a little bit of both. I don't know. 
But I'll be interested to see the type of players that Kevin recruits. And I'll also be interested to see, and this, again, will be my concern, what are they going to be running on offense next year? Now, the season might not be over. As we had Kevin on the show this week, I asked him, if you get a bid to the NIT, will you take it? He said, absolutely. And I was, uh, I think that's important. But the question I have with the Mountain West Conference is, first of all, how many teams are going to get into the NCAA tournament? I don't think four teams get in. I believe if Wyoming loses, and I do, I do believe they lose tonight, if Wyoming loses today... I don't believe they're in the NCAA tournament. I think the three teams that are in are, are the ones that I believe are more deserving, which is Boise State, San Diego State, and probably Colorado State. Because even though Colorado State struggled the last couple weeks of the year, I still think they're a better team than Wyoming. And I think the resume shows that. I think the Mountain West Conference gets three teams in the NCAA tournament, and I think at best, maybe Wyoming and UNLV, and UNLV would probably be the last pick, gets in the NIT. And I think having one home NIT game would be awesome. And it would be a big win for the program to be back in postseason play. And there's nothing wrong. I know that, you know, Rebel fans, and, and I know that Kevin wants to be in the NCAA tournament. Not going to happen this year. Let's look at next year. But I think playing in the NIT would be a great experience for the players and for the fans. I think it'd be a lot of fun. But I got to start, folks, by saying this. My criticism is not with Kevin Kruger and the coaching staff. I think they did a good job this year, nor the players. My criticism is with you fans. Where the F were you yesterday? It is inexcusable that the Wyoming Cowboys 2-1 to one, had more fans at the Thomas & Mack Center in Las Vegas. That is a joke. And that's an embarrassment. And don't you give me the excuses. Oh, it was during the day I had to work. Because when UNLV was a top 25 team in the country, the fans showed up. That's nonsense. I couldn't believe my eyes what I saw yesterday. I'm at the Thomas and Mack Center watching the quarterfinals of the Mountain West Conference tournament, which is, you know, the biggest game of the year for UNLV. And you had a two to one ratio of Wyoming fans to UNLV fans. You're, and by the way, Wyoming's not a top 25 team in the country. Their fans still showed up. What's your excuse? This is a joke. I mean, I don't know if there's anybody listening out there, and maybe you could tell me why you didn't go to the game. I'd love to hear it. Number to call, 221-7283. Again, that number. What did you think of the UNLV game yesterday? What would you make of Kevin Kruger's season? And Maybe you were at the game. Why weren't you at the game yesterday? Why didn't you support UNLV? The crowd support was a joke yesterday. It was embarrassment. Number to call is 702-221-7283. And ladies and gentlemen, it's pretty simple to me. It's inexcusable. Wyoming travels, and they travel from Wyoming to Las Vegas to watch their team compete. Do you know how disgusting it was when I saw all the brown out there? It was like a bunch of UPS workers out there at the Thomas and Mack Center yesterday. It was really bizarre. And, you know, chanting uh, the Wyoming Cowboys, and then I have UNLV, and the fans, I mean, I, I credit the fans that did show up, but the majority of people did not. You didn't give Kevin Kruger and this UNLV team, the respect that they deserve. Sam. And I got to tell you, folks, it's embarrassing to me. Again, number to call. What did you think of the UNLV season? Why didn't you go to the game yesterday? The number to call is 702-221-7283. Let's go to Sam. Sam, thanks for calling in. What's on your mind? Well, the reason why I wasn't at the game yesterday is because I was working. But what I will say is that overall, I think it was a pretty successful uh, first season for Kevin Kruger, given that he put the roster together in about five to six weeks. Yep, I agree with that. I agree with that, Sam. And I understand if you had to work, but I think you understand my point. 
I get it. There are people like you that had to work. You couldn't take the day off. But let me ask you a question. If UNLV was a top 10 team in the country, would you have taken the day off? Yes. Okay, so what you're basically saying is you want them to be better. You want them to be maybe the favorite to win the Mountain West Conference Tournament, and that's what would have gotten you to take the day off. Is that Am I understanding that right? Yeah, but it wouldn't necessarily have to, have to be top 10. Even like like top 25 would be good enough for me to want to take the day Under, off. Understood. Fair enough. But I, but I have to ask you this then. How do you feel, as someone who roots for UNLV, the fact that there were 2-1 to one more Wyoming fans at the Thomas and Mack Center than UNLV fans? I just find that to be inexcusable. I get your point. I understand you had to work. Uh, but with that being said, I, to me, that's just embarrassing. I just don't think that should happen in Las Vegas. Am I wrong, Sam? Uh, I think you do make a point, but by the same token, people in Wyoming, no disrespect to uh, Laramie, but any chance they could come come to Vegas and get out of that zero degrees, I think they're going to take it. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I hear you. I understand. I, I think you make, a, you make a valid point. I'm not trying to diss people like you, but what about the students? What's the excuse of the students? What, they were in class? I'm just not buying it. I got to tell you something, Sam. Did you see the student section yesterday? No, you didn't because there was no student section. What's the excuse for the students? The students don't have any excuse. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you, man. I'm with you, and I appreciate the call, Sam. Thank you for calling in. I get what you're saying. I get it. You had to work, and if, the, if it's a top 25 team, you probably would have been there. But I, I, on the other side of things, I think we can also say maybe you should have taken the day off anyway. I don't know, but I understand where you're coming from, Sam. But, yeah, you're right. There's absolutely uh, no excuse for why the students – uh, didn't show up yesterday. It was embarrassment. Uh, number to call again, 702-221-7283. It's 221-7283. Why didn't you go to the UNLV basketball game yesterday? Why is it the Wyoming fans were 2-1? to one? It, it, It's just ridiculous to me. Let's go to uh, Jeremy. Jeremy's next on yes. Pushing the Limits. Hi, thanks for calling in. What's on your mind? Yeah, I just wanted to chime in. Um, uh, I do live in Vegas. I've been here 20-plus years. I wanted to support the basketball program, but I am a UCLA alum. So I attempted to get tickets months ago for the game yesterday. Could not get them. It, just anywhere I went, could not get those tickets. What, what do you mean? You um, help me and, out. Help me understand that. What do you mean you couldn't get them? I, right when I knew that um, UCLA, well, when I found out it was going to be in our backyard, I wanted to, to get tickets to the game. Okay. So I went online. I did every. I went online. I went to all the places where you purchase tickets. I went to UNLV's website. I didn't know how to get them. I tried everywhere I went. It said sold out, sold out to be aid, sold out. And this was like a month or two ago. Well, that's a problem. I don't because I could tell you that is a huge problem. There were a lot of empty seats yesterday. I was at the game, and Mm -hmm. most of the people that had their butts in seats were Wyoming fans. And I thought that was an embarrassment to UNLV, and that was disgraceful. Listen, if they were Mm -hmm. in the playing game like a couple years ago, right? They're playing Air Force in the playing game, and they suck. Mm -hmm. Then I would say, you know what? It's still Mm -hmm. no excuse, students. But for people like you, I totally understand why you wouldn't want to go. But this was a team that was competitive. They had some good wins this year, and this was a big game. And the fact that I saw. All these people from Wyoming that traveled out here. Now, listen, I wouldn't want to be in Right. I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to be in Wyoming either. I don't know. What do they do out there? Cow tipping? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. What I, do you I'm do? not sure. <laughs> I have never been. I've been to almost every state. I've also been, you know, to different countries, but I have, I don't know where, I don't know where the students were. <laughs> when I was a student at UCLA, I know that it's a, you know, a highfalutin program with John Wooden, the whole nine. We were at every 
single game right. um, in the alumni section. And even if the old alumni that couldn't get tickets, they would show up somehow. To, to, I mean, it was overly crowded, even when we didn't have winning seasons. I don't so, understand. Like, I don't, I don't understand know that. what UNLV and what are the students doing here? Like, where's the support for your alma yeah. or your college? That, even if you didn't go to UNLV. Yeah. Even if you did not go to UNLV, like support the college, you know, the program. Um, they're trying to, you know, Kruger's back. Well, it's, you know, junior, not senior, but come on. They have no excuse. People in this town are just full of ex- excuses for everything. Agree. I, I hate to say yeah, it. No, I'm, I I'm, 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 I, I agree, uh, Jeremy. I agree. I agree, <laughs> with, on, on, I agree <laughs> with everything you just said, and I appreciate your call. Thank you so much. And you know what? You know, I went to a crappy D1 school, right? It was kind of crappy. But we were D1, little school in Connecticut called Central Connecticut State University. I mean, I broadcasted the games my, my junior, senior year. But freshman, sophomore, I wasn't missing a game because, you know, not only because I love basketball, but I rooted for my team. There was a pride in that. And it's not like this UNLV basketball team has been an embarrassment. They've been competitive this year. Kevin's had a decent year. He's done a good job. I, I really mean that. Where were the students yesterday? I was at the San Diego State game, too, last night. Those fans travel. There are plenty of San Diego State fans. And then I went, you know, I see Boise, and they travel well. And, uh, you know, there weren't a lot of Fresno State fans there. But those Wyoming fans, I give them credit. They travel. They support their team. Where were you? Where were you, students? And don't you give me this crap that, oh, there's, there's so many other things to do. Really, at 2.30 in, at 2:30 in the afternoon? There wasn't any uh, Vegas Golden Knights home game. There wasn't an Aces game yesterday at 2.30. There wasn't a Cirque du Soleil show. Oh, is that the Blue Devil song? Uh, yeah, I, they're terrible. Turn that off. They're terrible. They're awful. The Blue Devils. Yeah, I'm not talking about Duke either. The CCSU Blue Devils. They're terrible. But there, to me, there is no excuse. You had excuses the last seven or eight years. You had some poorly coached teams. The product wasn't good opportunity to see a guy, Bryce Hamilton, who I think has a, has a really good opportunity to be an NBA basketball player. If not, he's going to be a pro somewhere. You've got a bunch of kids out there that play really hard, that play for each other. They're not selfish. We've had some selfish players. We've had some bad coaches over the course of the last eight years. Not the case here. You've got a good coaching staff and uh, you know a quality product. I understand they weren't able to get the job done, but i got to tell you what is so pathetic to me is after the game. After the game, the Wyoming players were holding the press conference with their coach, and they said it felt like a home game. Do you know how crushing that is? We're going to have the UNLV athletic director on next week, and I'm going to ask him, how does it feel? You're the UNLV athletic director, and the game is played in your, even though it's a different court, it's still played in the Thomas and Mack in Vegas. That should be an advantage, okay? And then you have Wyoming players, after defeating UNLV, in front of the media saying it felt like a home game for us. That can never happen. That is an embarrassment. And I don't know what the athletic director can do to change that, but he's got to do something because that can't happen next year. You can't have that happen next year. It happens at UNLV football games, but they suck. That makes more sense to me at Allegiant Stadium, not the basketball program. That makes absolutely no sense to me. Again, the phone line, if you want to join in and chime in on this, am I wrong? 702-221-7283. And again, that number, if you want to be a part of the conversation, is 221-7283. And I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you go to uh, Vegas Golden Knights games, 
sold out. Good product. They're a winning team, and I get it. It's the NHL. I'm not in any way, shape, or form want to say that uh, you know the uh, UNLV crowd should be the same as an NHL franchise. But with that being said, if it's a good product, usually they show up. Usually in Las Vegas, they show up. Uh, Raiders made the playoffs this year, but that's also a different animal. That's the NFL. The reason why UNLV football has had lousy attendance is because the team has been terrible. They've been awful for a very long time. This is not an awful basketball team. They've had a decent year. I hope they get an invite to the NIT. Obviously, they didn't help themselves any, uh, last year with their loss. I hope they get an NIT bid. There's certainly no guarantee there. And I think the way the Mountain West Conference plays out tonight in the semifinals might have something to do with that. But why is it that the students don't show up? I, I don't know why. Help me with this. I don't understand. Why is it that we can't get students showing up to these games? I just don't understand it. I don't understand that, and I don't understand why the support for this team all year has been so bad. It's been so bad, man. I just don't understand it. Anyway, the number to call is 221-7283. Let's go to Glenn. Glenn is next on Pushing the Limits. What's up, Glenn? Hey, Brian, do you have me? Yes, sir. Go right ahead. All right. Um, I didn't go because of the entertainment that was available. I'm a 50-year NCAA uh, Man, anyway, a lot of games on TV, so factor that in, right? Mm-hmm. So let me okay. let me try to understand. And, let me try. To, let's start. Stop there, and then and then continue, Glenn. Let me just ask okay. you about that for a moment, if I may. So you're saying you didn't go to the UNLV game in your backyard because there were other college basketball games on TV? Am I get Am I getting that right? I want to understand what you're saying. Correct. Yeah, I could watch ten games and the UNLV game. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they don't televise it. They the do. UNLV they do. They do. Yeah. They do. But you know what some people but would. Maybe. But you know what some people would say, Glenn. Some people would say, and I understand. Hey, listen, you, you, that's your right. But I think some people would say, well, wait a second. You could watch college basketball games on TV any day of the week. This is a game at two thirty in the afternoon. I can't imagine there were many college basketball games. There were a few, but not many at two thirty in the afternoon. Some would say, well, come on, come out and support us. This is your team. What would you say to that? Uh, I plan to next year based on what I saw and uh, okay, good. The your opinion, your opinion of uh, uh, the new coach and the quality of play that's increased. And um, yeah, I'll be there next year. But yesterday there was just too much available. Okay, and I'm I'm sorry that we lost the game in the last twelve seconds, and I put part of that yeah. on the coach, not necessarily the head coach. But I think somebody dropped the ball. Uh, they should have fouled with like what was that uh, mm-hmm. nine seconds or whatever. So and I don't. So I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with you that they probably should have fouled a little bit sooner. So they would have had maybe an extra four or five seconds to try to tie the game. But I think here's where we disagree a little bit. I don't think they lost the game in the final thirteen seconds necessarily. I think they lost the game in the first half. They lost the game in the first half because they were down thirteen points and Bryce Hamilton was unable to get shots off. And he was unable to score. He's your best player. They lost the game in the first half because other guys were not contributing. I understand what you're saying, and we look at the end of the game. They probably should have fouled sooner, but if they fall sooner, they're still probably down three points. Instead of having three seconds to go, they have maybe eight or nine seconds to go. They most likely still lose the game. Uh, You know, 
and, and, and I don't know exactly what took place there. They could have been screaming at the players to follow, and they didn't. I also understand that you want, right. you want to try to trap, and you want to try to get a steal there. But you're right. You have to follow, and you have to fall fast, and they certainly would have had a couple more seconds to score. Uh, but I'm happy to hear from you that you like the product this year. It's improved. And maybe there's more people like you that will show up to games next year, uh, sir. I mean, I hope so, right? Sure. And I'll go you one better on you thinking that uh, we didn't really lose it uh, in the f- final 13 seconds. From what I read, we lost it in the first 90 seconds or something. I mean, sure, they sure. came out yeah. way, way too flat. Absolutely. Too flat. No, that's my point. I agree. That's my point. Uh, you know, when, yep. when one of your players is getting double teamed, and I'm talking about Bryce Hamilton, and Wyoming, to their credit, took Hamilton out of the game in the first half, other guys have to be ready not just to catch the ball, but to move the basketball and make crisp pa- passes so that guys are open. And then the few times in the first half they did that, guys weren't knocking down shots. That's where they lost the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, that's that's it. I mean, it maybe not the first 90 seconds, but certainly the first five or ten minutes. That's where they lost the game. And, when, and I appreciate the call, sir. It's good to hear from you. And Call back any time. I appreciate that, Glenn. Um, the bottom line, when you look at the game of basketball, right, college or NBA, when you dig yourself a hole and you're down big, especially in a game like last night where it's going to be really physical, it's in the tournament, every possession you know is valued. When you dig yourself a hole and you're down 13 points, and to their credit, they come back, that takes a lot out of you mentally, and it takes a lot out of you physically. I compare it to any other sport, right? You're down two or three touchdowns in the first half. You can make it a game, but it's going to be difficult late in the fourth quarter. You're going to be mentally and physically exhausted, right? You know, same thing with golf, right? If you get off to a horrible start and you make a couple double bogeys to start your round, you can come back and make it a decent round, but, you you know, eventually you're mentally you're going to be drained. And I think that's what happened to UNLV. Mentally and physically, I think at the end, the last couple minutes of the game, the reason why Wyoming went on that 7-0 run is because they were drained. They were tired. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Thank you for the phone calls. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, talk a little VGK hockey. Really disappointing loss. Uh, That might be an understatement. On the road against the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, What did Mr. Eichel have to say after the game about his former team and the fans? Well, you might be surprised to hear what he said. We'll play that audio for you. And joining us with reaction will be Real Kid Poker, VGK superfan, Daniel Agrano. Take a quick break. Be back right after this. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. All right, welcome back. Pushing the limits on a Friday. So glad that you could join us. We talked a little UNLV hoops last segment. Talk a little VGK hockey this segment. So uh, the Knights not been playing their best hockey as of recent, and I think last night was certainly a perfect example of that. They go on the road against Buffalo, not a great hockey team to say the least, and they come away with a loss. Eichel's return, by the way. And uh, listen, this is a Knights hockey team that you know, you're, you're now putting yourself in a position where you really got to start winning some games or you could be out of the playoffs. That's that's the bottom line. So before we get to my guest on the line, who is Daniel DeGranu, uh, I want to play you a quick uh, piece of audio. This was Eichel after the game and his thoughts on the fans and how uh, loud and boisterous they were. A lot of booze out there for Eichel. There was some cheering, too. Here's what Eichel said after the game. Good thing that it's over. It's got through that yeah, I'm pretty happy it's over. Let's move on. Were you surprised at the level of the intensity of the crowd? That's about the loudest I've heard this place ever. <laughs> really, after after uh, it only took seven years of me leaving for them to uh, get into the game. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there was mixed. Uh, you know, it was a nice tribute, and 
you know, um, there was plenty of people here that were supporting me, and there was plenty of people here that were booing me. So, <laughs> so I thought that was kind of a. Uh, I guess you could call it a verbal cheap shot. I understand his frustration. Joining us right now on the line is Real Kid Poker himself and VGK Superhand, very knowledgeable when it comes to the NHL and VGK hockey. Daniel Negrano, Real Kid Poker. Danny, I appreciate you coming on. As always, how are you doing? Always a pleasure. You know, that clip you played, it's as though, like, you know, Buffalo fans didn't need any more reason to not like Jack Eichel. But that just went over the top. And, like, there was actually one part of the clip at the very end where he actually says, Maybe they wanted me to still play here. Who knows? Right, I'm like, right. I don't think that's it. I don't, <laughs> Probably Jack, not. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think that's it, Jack. Let's be real. Probably so, not. But but yeah. but Daniel, you know as well as anybody in professional sports in general, usually you don't get a response like that. That was kind of a little bit of a cheap shot to the fans. He's basically saying it it wasn't loud in here for the years that I was here, but now it's all of a sudden loud because they want to boo me as I'm gone. Right? I mean, that's how I perceive that statement. It's kind of a cheap shot to the Saber fans. Yeah, and I think he's frustrated with the fact that, listen, he was thrown to the Wolves as a 19-year-old on a Buffalo team that was horrendous, just really bad. They were, yeah, like, yeah. dumping to try to get McDavid. They ended up with Eichel, right? So now you take this kid, and you literally pin him with the captaincy at age 21. You put all your dreams and hopes in this kid, and he's got nobody to surround him. So they had no success for seven years. But really, was that Jack Eichel's fault? No. Now, if you're being a normal human being and not a Buffalo, Bills fan, a Buffalo Sabres fan, you think to yourself, this poor guy put his heart and soul into this team for seven years, and they never gave him anything to play with. Now he wants to get a surgery that he believes in, and they won't let him, and they're toying around with him. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so so you, if you look at it from a more human perspective, it's kind of out of line. But listen, that's not how the Buffalo Sabres take it. The Buffalo Sabres like, look like this. Like, you know, you, you played here. We didn't win anything. What, where I think they should be resting most of their blame is on management rather than on Jack Eichel. I got to tell you, Daniel, I got to take his side on this one, and I, I agree with a lot of what you said there. I like the fact that he shows emotion. I like the fact that he's pissed off after a bad loss. Uh, I don't think a professional athlete should like booze any more than anybody else. Now, I don't think you should take the Russell Westbrook approach and call yourself a victim, and Eichel, by the way, wasn't doing that. It was a little cheap shot at the fans. I understand where he's coming from. They were bad for a very long time. They still are bad. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the actual game itself last night and uh, the way the Knights have been playing as of recent. I mean, this is let, let, let's not sugarcoat this, right, Daniel? This was a bad loss last night. This is like bottom of the barrel. This is the worst state of the franchise in its history. I know it's only been five years, and people say, oh, you know, what do you guys know about history? But there's never been a lower low point. And I tell you, the game last night specifically, the first period was, you know, not great. But in the, here's the problem. Here's what I was really concerned with. I saw the effort in the second and the third. They were The effort was there. They're just not good. Like, they were not good chemistry-wise. And then, in addition to that, you're starting to see the frustration actually cost you. Keegan Colasar, you know, punching Fitzgerald yep. when he's on the ice. That's right. a no-no. That's yep. two minutes. Yep, good point. Marchiso got hit. Marchiso got hit. Maybe that should have been a penalty. But in a game where you need to win, Marchie. Right, you, you can't You need to win. Good point. Do you think that – can you not keep your cool and keep your head? And then you ask, why Why is this happening, right? Obviously, frustration. Why is it – there's a whole – you know, there's a whole bunch of chemistry issues, and we can go down the re- the line of, like, why? This team isn't having any fun. You get rid of the fun captains and Nate Schmidt, Ryan Reeves, Marc-Andre Fleury, Gerard Gallant. Like, not that he was part of the fun crew, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> right, right, And right. now yeah. you're replacing them with just guys who don't have that same kind of chemistry. You've got – in that week, we have to be fair. The injuries are the number one reason the team's not doing so well. Patch Reddy's playing, but he's not 100%. That's clear. And we got a lot of holes. But – uh but there's there's deep seated problems here yeah. that are that are because really, here's the thing, 
we got to play Pittsburgh tonight. Good luck with that one, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't like their chances. And then, yeah, and then you're going to Winnipeg, right? That's that's another one you could lose. And guess what? You come home and you get the beautiful Florida Panthers. Yeah. Whoa, this could be three more losses. Absolutely, very, absolutely, very well. Like if you had to bet, if I had to bet on three wins coming up or three losses, I'd lay ten to one on three losses over three wins. I think if they're lucky, they win one out of three. That that's what I think is going to happen here. But you know, Daniel, you make such a great point, and I talk about this all the time. Fun, guys. Now, we can have a debate over the goaltending issue, which we've had before, but I think one thing you and I certainly agree on, Marc-Andre Fleury was a good teammate, right? He was funny. He was the prankster of the team. He made it fun to play with him. Nate Schmidt, you mentioned his name, loved him. The fans loved him. Ryan Reeves. These guys have gotten rid of fan favorites. Now, let's take the fans out of the equation here. You said it yourself. Hockey should be fun. Yes, I get it. They're professionals, and it's a job. These guys aren't having fun out there, and yes, a big part of that is they're not winning hockey games, but even when they are winning, I don't get the sense that they're having as much fun as, like, say, a Mark Stone when Mark Stone scores a goal. Uh, In years past with this team, Danny, they were having a lot of fun out there on the ice, right? It just doesn't seem like they're having a lot of fun this year, even the games that they're winning. Do you get that sense? No, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of pressure and a lot of change. Like, listen, you know, it's, it's, it's almost as though you, if the most popular jersey, whoever is that is, that's the next guy on the block. Nobody's safe, right? And I think there's a little bit of a fear and a concern. You look at a guy like Shea Theodore. He signed a long-term deal, thinks he's going to be here. Is he? You right. know, there's no more faith in the organization in that regard. So now, if you're Shea Theodore, for example, which has been a little bit, you know, he's been underwhelming, or even William Carlson, you ask yourself, man, I thought I was safe here, but I'm not. And now you got to, now I'm under pressure that I didn't, maybe I'm grabbing my stick a little too tight. You know, everything seems a little more difficult and not easy because I don't feel safe and comfortable, you know, within this team because of their, you know, fast-twitch willingness to just move on to the next. Like, I think, you know, because I saw, you know, some of the guys, Jesse Granger and uh, Sinman guys talking about, you know, people blaming DeBoer. And I'm not going to pin all the blame on DeBoer, but I think the frustration for the fans is this. Gerard Gallant was beloved. He lost four games one time, one time. Mm -hmm. That's boom, axe. Never missed the playoffs. You know, brought this team, you know, four games? Like, yep. how long is this leash now, right? A lot of people are wondering, like... That's a good question, you know, be- yeah. Because because this is the worst franchise, state of franchise. Again, we can always point to injuries, because that's the real thing. But that's also part of roster construction. This is an old team. You know, what, what's our youth movement? Our youth movement was picking up Nolan Patrick and Brett Howden, who's they're in their early 20s. But past that, mm-hmm. there's nothing coming up the pipeline, right? Yeah. So it's not all that shocking. I mean, it is absurd how many injuries we've had compared to other teams. But when you look at the age group of what we've got, you know, Stone and, you know, Patches, these these are not young guys, so right, right. they're banged up, and, and that's to be expected. But uh, it's this is this is bad. I mean, yeah. this, this is like, we're talking potentially missed playoffs and complete disaster. Yeah, that was going to be my next question for you. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Real Kid Poker, Danny Negreanu, VGK Superhand, very knowledgeable when it comes to the NHL. That was my next question for you, so let me ask you that, and then I'm going to ask you a little bit more about Pete DeBoer. But let's start here. Give me your prediction. Where the team is at right now, where you think they'll be headed moving forward, where will they be a month from now, two months from now, do you seriously believe that this team has a legitimate chance of missing the playoffs, and do you think they will? Well, it's all, it's now legitimately a chance. Now, there's some things that they have going for them. After this little stretch that I mentioned, you know, of tough games, they do have a very easy schedule going forward. A couple Seattle games in Chicago, Vancouver, which is no longer easy because they're playing better. But, you know, it's a much easier schedule. As far as the making the playoffs, here's the concern you have now. The Kings, well, Calgary's not catchable. They're, they're going to win the division, right? So let's, let's just get rid of that one spot. Now you're talking about the Kings who've been playing really, really well 
you know, they've got that old core, and now they've got a young group that's, you know, pushing the envelope a little bit, so they're playing well. And you've got Edmonton on our heels. And then you've got Vancouver actually charging. Anaheim's falling out of it. Um, and then, you know, the wild card spots, Dallas, Nashville, all these teams right now, when you look at them, they're all playing better than Vegas is right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, only eight get in, and right now Vegas is, like, right on the line. Um, and, you know, again, it's going to get worse, I think, in the next three games. Like, if they miraculously pull off a win against Pittsburgh or, or Winnipeg or, you know, beat Florida at home, you know, that's huge for the morale. Like, I would, I'll change my tune. But, like, think about what the standings look like now. Now add three more L's to that. And now what, what are we talking about here? This yeah. is real risk. We will, if we lose the next three games, we will be out of a playoff spot. Yeah, almost I, certainly. Yeah. And I think that's going to, that's, there's a very good chance that happens. I, 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 I'm going to be generous and say I think they might get one out of three, but I think that's maximum. They're not winning two of the next three games. Maybe one out of three, and you're probably right. They could easily lose all three games. We'll have to wait and see what happens. All right, let's go to Pete DeBoer now. You mentioned him earlier. I don't know if you would say he's on the hot seat, but when you look at what they did to Gallant, I would say he probably should be. I, I was a big Gallant guy. I think Turk is a fantastic coach. He's doing a great job in New York. Maybe not the biggest personality, but neither's uh, DeBoer Players respected Gallant as they do uh, DeBoer. Let me ask you this. If you're Pete DeBoer, Danny Negreanu, if you are running this team, whether it's management or you are the head coach, what can Pete DeBoer do? What would you do to try to turn things around and get some W's? Well, I would, I'm j- sort of joking, but I would pull the Paul Maurice and say, yeah, I can't do it. I quit. <laughs> Let's move on to the next guy. No, but, but in all seriousness, um, obviously, you know, systematically, they need to make some serious changes to the system that they try to employ with a roster that can't really do it as effectively as he would like with the defense pinching with, um, you know, like uh, there was a video I watched. I think it was Ken who put together, like there was a 90 second clip of Vegas in the offensive zone. They had 90 seconds of possession. That's, that's like <laughs> an e- that's eons, right? Yeah. But if you watch the entire shift, the defense just collapsed. There's four in front. The Ve- Vegas just Passed the puck around the perimeter. They got one shot the entire 90 seconds, and there was nothing of high danger, right? So, systematically, I think one of the problems we have now is we're not as big and we're not as strong and we're not as tough, right? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind, like, you know, even if it sounds crazy, but putting somebody like a Reeves out front of the net or somebody big that can cause some traffic. You know, we don't, we don't have that type of fourth line anymore. It's a little bit more of a skilled line. Um, but generally speaking, we're just not getting enough high-danger chances. The biggest thing that I've said from the get-go, and the, one of the things that was most fun about watching this Vegas team under Gallant, was they did something no other team in the league was doing, and they were countering instantly. Puck on stick, off the stick. Hot potato. Boom, boom, boom. Right. Back up the ice. Scoring lots of goals in transition. Right now, Vegas, the only goals they're scoring, and they're averaging like two goals a game over the last 12, which is ridiculously bad. Awful. The only goal, the only goals they score are in transition. They score none in the offensive zone, and and teams are like, man, this is easy. They're not hard to play against. There's yeah. there's no real threats. So one of the things I would do is I would look to you know pick up the pace a little bit and try to get the fuck up ice. Worry less about possession, and more about. And I think Eichel's really trying to do that. If you watch him, especially on the power play, it looks more dynamic because he's trying to make those you know those cute passes, he's trying to get the puck off his stick quickly and move it around and create some high danger, and he has. Mm-hmm. He definitely has. He's, he's a game-breaker in that regard. Yeah, so, but overall, so, yeah. I just think this uh, you know possession-heavy team is so different from the team we fell in love with that first year that was fast. Yeah. Like, William Carlson scored 43 goals, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. He did that in transition. I think yep. like 35 of them were in transition. 
Yep. Now, you know, he's not getting those opportunities Nothing. anymore. Nobody yeah. is. You know, at the beginning of the year when I had you on, when we were doing the Vegas take, I, I asked you and I, I said, do you think this team, at the beginning of the season, right, I said, do you think this team uh, has the ability to be better or they are better than they were last year? Now, you said yes. The reason why I said no was kind of like what you alluded to because of some of these guys that they've gotten rid of. I just didn't feel like they had the, those spark and the guys that, you know, were, were fun to play with. Yeah, you need the skill, but you also need guys that are out there relaxed, that make you relax, that have fun. And, and, and that's why I said on paper, I do not believe that this team is as good as they've been in years past. And I think this is maybe the weakest team they've had in the four years they've been in Vegas. Now, when you look at where we're at now, do you agree? Do you think this is probably on paper the weakest team they've had from a talent perspective they've had since yeah. the organization started? If I could press the disagree button more heavily, I would. Because what you're comparing, right, is the team that they had on day one versus the team they had now. The team that doesn't include Robin Lane or Riley Smith, Mark Stone, mm-hmm. Alec Martinez, Matthias Yanmark, Nolan Patrick. You know, go down the list of and Patches who's half, you yeah. know, he's not. So we're not talking, well, the, the team that they have on the ice right now that mm-hmm. played that game last, There's no, that, that is a much weaker lineup, yeah. right? But if the team was healthy, right, right fully right. healthy, right. on paper, there's never been it. Like, think about the defense. You know, you'd mm-hmm. be looking at Martinez, McNabb, Theodore, Petrangelo, mm-hmm. Haig, White Cloud, like, boom, yeah, right? Yeah. And now you're looking at, a, you know, a deep third and fourth line. I, you know, said I'm not, I was never a big fan of the dad and all that. I thought that was a mistake. Yeah. But again, we're not looking at a team right now that is the same team that they were on day one because, you know, presumption. I mean, even though they, you know, theoretically we had Jack Ike. Well, we didn't have Jack Ike. We had Tuck, which is, you know, right. having a great freaking year in, in Buffalo. It's, you know, sad Sort of sad, but happy to see, you know, because he's doing yeah. so great. But, sure. no, I think on paper, there's no question this is Lee. I mean, look, you know, this, this is a very – we've got more skill now than we ever had. It's just not all in the lineup at the same time. Like, Jack Eichel mm-hmm. is by far the most skilled player we've ever had in position, and I'm not talking about goalie. Well, sure, he's a top-five scorer in the league. There's no question about that when he's, when he's healthy. But uh, looking at where we are at right now, let me ask you this question. If the Knights – and it's a big if – but it's a possibility, as you alluded to. If the Knights do not make the playoffs, do you think Pete DeBoer should be let go? Well, here's the thing, right? And I heard a lot of these guys talking about this. So it was unequivocally a mistake to fire Gallant in the way they did. It was a dumb mistake. Agree. Arrogant, foolish, awful. Yep. Just a pivotal point for this organization, right? The question is, is DeBoer the guy now? And I'll tell you what, if you want to make the playoffs now, one of the best ways to do that Look at any team that switched coaches during this year and look at their record after the switch. Look at the Vancouver Canucks after they made the change, right? Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden they're back in the playoff run. So that boost is available if they were going to do that in the offseason. Again, I mean, he seems like a guy that McPhee and McCrimmon really, really like. I'm not as big a fan, obviously, of the system that he wants to put in place or just of the style of coach that he is. Like, I liked Gallant because Gallant was a player's coach. And I don't believe that these old-school type coaches that are kind of jerks and you know, tough and all that. I don't think that works anymore. No, okay. It and I don't think this young generation of kids or people are like, they don't want to be talked to like John Tortorella, you know, come on that act wears thin within like three <laughs> right. weeks, right? 20 years ago like, at work, not anymore. We don't like him. You know, we don't need that anymore. You need a yeah. guy who like, here's the thing about Gallant that I, that I always appreciated, right? Players knew it didn't matter how much money you made. Doesn't matter where you were. If you played hard, you'd play. And if you don't, you don't. You look at, like, in the Rangers right now. He's got a, a young star named Philip Cheadle. Well, not right, a star. Right, And he's, yep. he's scratching him sometimes, putting him on the fourth line. And he says, you know, listen, if he plays like Zibanejad, then uh, he'll play. But right, right. now he's not. Yeah. So, you know, he like he did. You know, he he, he made his own decisions. Thomas Guitar came to the team. Yeah. That was McPhee's big move. And he's like, nope, 
Can you give me an example? I agree with you. Can you give me an example? And I'm with you 150% on Gallant. Uh, that was a horrible mistake they made, and I love love Turk. With that being said, can you give me an example of what you're talking about, like with Pete DeBoer? Do you feel like sometimes he just doesn't let players play and do what they do? Well, he certainly – listen, I think, you know, Gallant is beloved, and they, they felt as though, um, you know, they trusted that he's going to be stern but fair, Right. He's going to be tough but fair. And I don't know. I don't know that, uh, you know, DeBoer is able, has been able to create the same kind of culture in the room with the players in that regard or, like, them feeling like uh, – I, I tell you what. Sometimes when I listen to his post games, I just I – just, it's frustrating hearing how much deflection there is. How much, well, we're unlucky. We played great. You know, this – there's, there's a lot of that. And, you know, there's not enough, as far as I'm concerned, looking at, like, you know, we've got to take a look at the system because some things are working but some things aren't. And, you know, part of that's on us. Right, I'd love right. if he said that. I would be so much more endeared to that because that's the truth, right? The bottom line is this: if you want, you're, you're not scoring. I, yes, injury. I get all that, but there's no point in harping on these excuses right now. Yeah. You got to find a way to score. You got to find a way to win. Now, what are you doing differently in order to sort to sort of create that? Yeah. And there's urgency right now, and, yeah. and it has to happen. And listen, I mean, listen, Marchie made that dumb play. Kolasar made that dumb play, but like, right. how's that happening? Like, if I'm the coach, Can't. I don't, I don't, I'm not allowing that. That's, yeah. That's not okay. Agree. Like that, yeah, I agree with you 100%. You have to keep your head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, can you believe this, Danny? The Golden Knights have three goals in the last 150 minutes against Ottawa, Philadelphia, and Buffalo, and just one of them came at even strength. I mean, can you believe that stat? Yeah, no, it's bad. Because like, even though we beat Ottawa, right, we barely beat Ottawa. We had a win in Anaheim. Everyone's like, oh, everything's good again. I'm like, you're, you're, no, okay? These are not teams that you should be all super excited about barely beating, right? And, uh, you know, again, like we have a tough stretch here. It will get easier. But we are not looking be- – like Buffalo's, you know, one of the worst teams in the league, yeah. you know, on paper or whatever. Sure. But And we played pretty good in the second, third period for what we can do. And right. we couldn't win. It wasn't good you enough. Know, we couldn't score. You're right. Right. Yeah. So, so, like, not only are they in trouble here, but, like, again – you know, if things go really bad and they don't make the playoffs, now you're yeah. looking at like, what do, what do we do next year? Because yeah. next year you're going to, I guess your hope is that, you know, you know they're healthy, but you're going to have to shed salary. So, you know, a guy like Riley Smith has probably seen his last season here with us, and, and who knows mm-hmm. what else. Interesting what the fan base will look like if they miss the playoffs this year. What will the season tickets look like next year? I don't think they can up the prices any higher. Uh, that will also be very interesting. Will these fans be loyal? Hey, Danny, before I let you go, what is... Uh, one of the best poker players in the world, uh, or maybe the best poker player in the world. What is he up to this weekend in Las Vegas? Give me some insight into the life of Daniel Negreanu. Well, this weekend is just, uh, I'm in between tournaments. I just played some over at the Win, and I'm gearing up to play uh, the U.S. Poker Open, which starts on March 16th. Mm, okay. uh, you can watch that on Poker Go. So I'll be like doing a little bit of, I'll be watching the games, of course, and, and I'll be doing a little bit of you know studying some of my opponents, but really just chillax, getting, getting in the gym and... Uh, gearing up for another 12, 12 events at uh, Poker Go Studio. I'm just picturing you, like, in your living room. Like, do you have your laptop and you're watching poker hands and some of the opponents that you're going to be facing while another television set is on and you're watching a Knights game? Like, is that a typical okay. night? <laughs> I'm laying, right now as we speak, I'm laying on my couch with my feet up. My laptop is on my right. I have three TVs, an 88-inch and two forties up top, where I'll put the game, well, I'll put, you know, poker and then the games and all that stuff. I love so, it. I love it. Pretty good read. You made a pretty good. That read is there. a really good read. I, I just, I just, I picture you doing that, and I, and I, I think there's probably a lot of other poker players that do the same. Uh, I, I absolutely love that. But you know what? People think it's just so easy to win in poker and to be one of the best in the world. And I love the fact that even after all these years and all the success, you 
you have, you still are putting the work in, and that's why you're as good as you are, my man. And and you're also probably one of the most knowledgeable hockey people that I that I talk to. Danny, I always appreciate it, my man. I'll let you get back to studying those opponents, and uh, we'll catch up with you maybe next week. Always appreciate your time. Good luck uh, in the open, by the way. All right, man. Have a good one. Appreciate it. Thank you, Danny. That is uh, Danny Negreanu. Don't I? God, I love that. Here's a guy who has won tens of millions of dollars, like boatloads of money playing poker. You would think he wouldn't have to study poker anymore. He just told you as he's talking to me on the phone, he's watching videos on his laptop with his feet up, studying opponents. When you're at that level and you're playing for the amount of money that, that Danny's playing for, you need to do that. doesn't matter how good you are. You think of, uh, and, I, and I am going to compare poker to uh, any other sport, you know, the best in the world, they're always trying to get better. They're always trying to study their opponents. Could be uh, NFL, uh, Tom Brady over the years, last years of his career. You think he stopped studying his opponents? Of course not. Same thing goes uh, with poker. You know, here you have a guy who's one of the best, if not the best poker player in the world over the course of the last 20 plus years. You know, on a Friday afternoon, he could be, you know, doing something else. But no, he's studying his opponents and gearing up for the U.S. Poker Open. I just love that. You know, it's just a testament to uh, you have to love the process. You have to love preparing. doesn't matter. It could be Tiger Woods on the golf course. could be Danny DeGranu at the poker table. doesn't matter. I think that's a lesson for all of us, right? You could sit back and do nothing and just expect greatness. Or you can work your butt off um, and do what uh, Daniel is doing right now. I just think that's so cool. Hey, before we let you go, we got a minute here. Uh, so they uh, in Buffalo, we were just talking VGK hockey. They played a tribute for Jack Eichel. Now there were some cheers, there were some boos. This is what it sounded like. On behalf of our nurses, our patients, our physicians, our employees, everyone here at Roswell Park, we thank you, Jack Eichel, for everything that you've done for us. Thank you. We couldn't do what we do without your incredible support. Please join us in welcoming Jack Eichel back to Buffalo. Fifty-fifty, <laughs> sure. <laughs> there were definitely some boos in there. You know that doesn't bother me one bit. So they just played the video. Doesn't, tribute doesn't bother me one bit. Uh, fans are going to be emotional. Listen, I remember I was uh, back in the day. I was a Hartford Whaler season ticket holder. And uh, we had a guy by the name of Brendan Shanahan, former Detroit Red Wing. We got him over to the Whalers. A great player. All-star player. Great player. And Shanny did not want to be a Hartford Whaler for very long. And they got rid of him after a while. So he, he gets traded. And uh, I believe the Wings come back to town. And you had people showing up wearing diapers, wearing a, a Shanny jerseys. And, and people were booing him. And listen, it's part of sports. It's what makes sports great, right? That, that's what it is. I have no problem with what the fans did in Buffalo last night. They had a right to be excited. And you know what? Eichel's also right. They probably didn't have a lot to cheer a lot and be loud about over the course of the last six, seven years. But, you know, you got a guy like Eichel who's coming back in another jersey. Fans are going to get pumped up for that. So I don't have a problem with anything the fans did. I also don't have a problem with anything Eichel did. I think both were right, if that's possible. I think it is. But uh, my thanks to Danny DeGrano for joining us. Hey, next week on the show going to have UNLV's athletic director, Mr. Harper, join us. 
One of the women who accused uh, Bill Cosby of rape, she actually lives here in Las Vegas. She's going to be coming in studio. There's a new documentary she's in about Bill Cosby that just came out on Netflix. She's going to be joining us in studio. Some great guests lined up for you. And, of course, March Madness and the Brackets. we got Bracketology that's going to be on Sunday. So on Monday, we're going to be breaking down those brackets, baby. And gearing up for the NCAA tournament. I love it. I hope everybody has a fantastic weekend. I know I will. I hope you do too. And we will see you on Monday at noon right here. Thanks for joining us on Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP.